good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn in your Bibles at this point to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and the verse number 16. When we hear the Word of God, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. I want to be clear as we begin to think about the Word of God today that what we are doing today is not church. This is not church in any proper sense of that word. I'm not happy to be preaching in an empty building. Not because I, I want an audience, but because this is not the gathering of God's people. I can't see your faces. I can't see the children and the seniors. And I, I can't have that joy of fellowship with you in prayer, in song, and around the Word of God. And so the question comes to mind, by closing this building, this Lord's Day, and next at least, are we not disobeying verse number 25 of Hebrews chapter 10? The text says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There are sensitive Christians who feel the weight of that text, who feel the weight of that text at this particular time as churches across the nation have closed their doors on this the Lord's day. First and foremost, we should remember that the context of these verses is forbidding people from staying away out of choice as they backslide into apostasy. Now, these verses are in the context of the entire book of Hebrews, where Paul is warning, the, warning the, the readers that they should not turn away from Christ. They should not be tempted to go back into the false paths of a man-made Judaistic religion. The danger is that they are going to sin willfully, verse number 26. The danger is that they're going to face judgment as they turn away from Christ. And so the words themselves indicate those who willfully and deliberately absent themselves from the house of God. And they're doing so because they're turning away from Christ. 
And thus the exhortation here is that Paul is warning people and encouraging people to make sure they are diligent in their church life because that's part of what it is to be a true believer. False believers, they forsake the assembling of themselves together. True believers will meet together in the Lord's house. People stay away when they're ill and they are not in violation of this text. Doctors, nurses, emergency services are absent often from the house of God on the Lord's Day due to legitimate labor on their part. They are not violating this text. And this time, at this point in our history, we have closed these doors because we have received directive and advice from qualified and concerned bodies recommending that churches cancel their gatherings at this time. Churches are not being singled out. This advice pertains to the movie theater, to the restaurant and the bar as much as it does to our churches. The text before us, verse 25, refers to this, the assembling of ourselves together. And that word assembling refers to gathering together. It's used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the verse number 1 regarding the Lord's coming. And I will beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's the word assembling there, this gathering together. And so it is my desire that we refresh, appreciate these things today. And I want to, I want to think for a few moments about the subject of forsaking assembly and then in turn spinning that around to think about the benefits of being together with God's people. And so to begin with, let's note the necessity of church assembly. The necessity of church assembly. Now, the command itself implies the importance. Let us consider, verse 24, one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The command in inspired Scripture indicates itself the importance of Christian assembly. But when you see it in the context, it gives an added level of significance. Note that this exhortation in verse number 24 is one of three exhortations in light of the gospel. Because, verse number 17, we have our sins and iniquities forgiven, because we have a great high priest that's over the house of God, because that high priest has entered in through the veil, we therefore have boldness to enter. Therefore we're exhorted, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Verse 23, we're told to let us hold fast the profession. Verse 24, we're told to let us consider one another to provoke unto love unto good works, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together. This is no exhortation of minimal importance. None of us would suggest that we could ignore the exhortation to draw near to God in prayer. None of us would suggest we can ignore the exhortation to hold fast the profession. And so none of us should ever suggest that it is a matter of little importance to gather together as God's people. We are told in this exhortation to consider one another. And this word to consider has the concept of thinking upon. 
It's the idea of, of careful thoughts. We're being told to think about each other carefully. Let us consider, think about each other, consider one another. Undoubtedly, that happens best when we assemble together. We think of each other more when we see each other's faces. And this exhortation to consider one another is out of a concern for one another. This church assembly command is important. It is necessary because of the tendency of God's people to become weary. And it's undoubtedly the case that in the heart, even a true believer, there is a natural tendency to wander away from the things of God. God has in his mercy given us the church to help us in our walk. We are to come together. We're to come together and enjoy the means of grace. You take the context here of verse 22. We're to draw near. And the sense there is that we do this together. Not only individually, but we do as a church. We gather around the means of grace. We gather to minister to one another. Meeting in this way through a television screen or a computer screen, it does not fulfill this obligation to meet together. One of the things that I, I just feel we need to make very, very clear at this point in our history is that church is not coming to listen to a sermon. What you're doing now is listening to a sermon. But church is not simply coming to listen to a sermon. If that was the case, I could do this every Lord's Day for every year to come. No, church is the people of God coming together. And that's implied in some of the words that are used here. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, this word provoke speaks of contention. It's actually used that way in Acts chapter 15 regarding the contention between Paul and Barnabas concerning John Mark. Now, of course, in that text, it's a negative thing. They're, they're, they're contending. There's, there's argumentation involved in that. But you get the sense here of contact and conflict. Whenever we're together as God's people and we see someone falling back in the ways of God, then as believers, we are encouraged to contact and to be in conflict with that person to provoke them to motivate them unto love and to good works it implies contact you get the same idea in the word exhorting that's used in verse number 25 not forsaking the assembly but exhorting one another and that word is the word that's used in many ways in the new testament the word paracalio the idea of coming alongside it implies nearness again. And these things, in Hebrews 10, they imply the benefit and the blessing of assembling together as God's people. The benefit and the blessing of the assembly of the church. Now you turn back to Romans chapter 1. For in Romans chapter 1, we see Paul's desire to see the churches. He's a burden, Romans 1, verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. Note the point here again. His concern is their immaturity. 
and he wants them to be established. And he writes a letter to help them in that end. But even an inspired letter is not the same as Paul being with them in person. He believes in the importance of personal ministry. And that is quite remarkable. He's written what to many people is the most popular epistle in all of the New Testament. And yet Paul is saying this epistle is a replacement for the fact that I cannot come and see you. Preaching is not the same when the people are not here. I'm not saying that there is some desire for, for false pity, but it is not the same preaching to a camera as it is preaching to people. I think the people of God must understand this more and more. Preaching is spiritual interaction. There's a two-way thing when the Word of God is preached in the public assembly. The pastor and people, they interact in various ways as the sermon is preached. And beyond that, there is a spiritual presence of God. There is a spiritual dynamic in the public preach of the Word of God that is absent elsewhere. Dear people, never substitute the gathering together for online sermons. They're helpful, they're edifying, but they're not the same thing. Paul, he showed that desire to be a part of the assembly of God's people. But not only for the preaching, of course, but also for the sense of the people meeting together. That we consider one another, that we provoke one another, that we exhort one another. The people are involved in the church. Our presence is an encouragement, the one to the other. In our singing, we teach and admonish one another. Anything less than congregational gathering will not replace congregational gathering. I'm not pretending to do church today. I'm thankful for Skype. I'm thankful for the means of sermon audio. But this is not the same as properly meeting together as the assembly of God's people. But as things are as they are at the present time, then we must do all we can to continue to encourage one another. So that's a word regarding the necessity of church assembly. The second thing to note then is the outcome of church assembly. What should church assembly produce? Well, there are many things, but I just want to stick to the text. Note the two things that are in the text here. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Two things mentioned, love and good works. Both of these have a Godward dimension and they have a manward dimension. Now, undoubtedly, we are to love God. And as we assemble together as the people of God, it is our duty to provoke each other to love the Lord. When someone is growing cold, a dear brother coming around, putting an arm around the shoulder and saying to that person, you need to press on in loving the Lord. You need to be in the Word, study the Word, see Christ in the Word, consider Calvary in the Word, and make sure your heart's stirred to love the Lord. Of course, we know we know that love for God is wrought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. No man can love God unless they're born from above, born again. But those who are born again are then encouraged that that spiritual experience is expressed in their lives. 
And so it's right and proper that we provoke each other to love unto God. But there's also then this manward dimension. First John is perhaps the best example of someone encouraging the church to love one another. First John chapter 4, you could turn there. And John exhorts the believers, Beloved, let us love one another. Here's the apostle exhorting them to love. Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. That's significant that over in verse number 21, John emphasizes that there is indeed this love for God. This is, sorry, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So these things come together. If we're looking at Hebrews 10 about provoking each other to love, well then that love for God will also have a love for the brother. We're to encourage each other to love God, to love the Lord, and to love the brethren. The aim of our church assemblies must be that we produce love amongst each other, for each other, and for the Lord. Now, if we aim at nothing, we will certainly hit it. But as we assemble together with a purposeful, intentional, deliberate aim, then we come Lord's Day by Lord's Day, and we come into the assembly of God's people, and we say, my desire is to encourage people in this assembly to love God and to love one another. You've also got the sense of good works here. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Those works have a Godward dimension also. You think of the woman who anointed Christ with the alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, and the Lord says, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Mark 14 and the verse number 6. Sacrificial acts of devotion unto God, they are good works. But there's also a manward aspect to good works. First Timothy chapter 5, you have the instruction given regarding the care of widows and a widow who would receive support. Well, in verse 10, she is well reported off for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So there you see some categories of good works. Good works in the home, in the church, and in the community. Good works to strangers, good works to saints, and good works to your own offspring. And so you see these categories of manward good works. And coming together as the people of God, it is again very important that we come with a deliberate purpose, that by example and by exhortation, we exhort each other to these practices of loving good works. You see, falling away from the Lord is the opposite of love and good works. A church that is walking with God, a church that is on fire for Christ, is a church that will rejoice in love and good works. And as a church assembly, we aim for those outcomes. And so we've thought about the necessity of church assembly and the outcome of church assembly. And finally, note the urgency of church assembly. How does Paul finish our text in verse number 25? Well, he says, Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. 
the day. The only day that can be called the day is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord's return. You can turn over a few pages in your Bible to chapter 3 of 2 Peter and verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto judgment against the day of judgment. The day of judgment. Verse number 10. But the day of the Lord. Verse number 12. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. The day of the Lord. The day of God. The day of judgment. The one and the same day. And that's the day that Paul refers to in Hebrews 10 as the approaching day. The return of Christ must motivate us to encourage each other to keep on pressing on. Whenever the New Testament refers to the return of Christ, it always brings one of two applications and sometimes both. When we think about Christ's return, we must be ready. We must make sure that our sins are forgiven, that we're clothed in the right garments, not our righteousness, but Christ. Be ready. Be ready to meet the Lord. Do not stand before God in your sin. Make sure you stand before God in Christ's righteousness. That's one exhortation of the Lord's return. But the other one is that Christ's church should be holy. Holiness is promoted out of the teaching of Christ's return. And so it is here. Paul uses the approaching day to encourage the believers to be faithful in their churchmanship. Not only faithful in their prayer life, privately, not only faithful in their personal holding of the faith, but faithful in their corporate responsibilities. The coronavirus is another indication that the Lord is coming again someday. His return is imminent. He's coming in judgment. And we are being reminded again, even with this particular virus, that Christ will come one day. And in the meantime, it is our responsibility to gather together as the church of Christ to exhort and to provoke each other to love and to good works. This is temporary. These doors that are closed, we trust under God, they are closed temporarily. But they remind us again of the vital importance in light of Christ's first and second coming of the vital importance of the assembly of Christ's church. And so as I close, let me just leave some final points of application. When we think about assembling, it is right and proper that we miss this church fellowship. Longing for it is a good sign. If you're content to be apart, it may be because of a lack of understanding of these things. That's why we encourage church membership. That's why we encourage people to be faithful to a congregation, to love one another in the congregation. Because church life is not secondary. And so for some, they're content to be here very occasionally. Once in the Lord's day, perhaps, and they have a contented spirit to not be truly part of the assembly of God's people. For some, that is their experience, but they feel the pain of it. They long to be more and more part of the assembly of God's people. That's a good sign. But whenever you trace the backslider, 
When you see someone backsliding away from the Lord, you will see that one of the marks of backsliding is a slipping of church attendance. So it is right and proper to miss church fellowship. But we should also be aware of the spiritual danger of these days. These are dangerous times for the people of God. There's a danger that we might succumb to fear and unbelief. There's a danger that we might prize our earthly possessions more than our never-dying soul. There's a danger that we may hear all the things in the world and fear that our souls can be lost. They cannot be lost. And so the danger is that we succumb to fear and unbelief. But that danger is heightened because we do not have the proper benefit of church assembly. That makes the danger all the more real. To be spiritually isolated is a dangerous state to be in. Now therefore, and I've argued already that I believe this is a proper and prudent time of church closure. But that prudence does not mitigate against the danger. And therefore, be all the more diligent in prayer, in your devotions, in the presence of God, that you would guard your heart against the world at this time. And you keep close to the Lord. And that together, we would seek to do all we can to encourage each other in these evil days. It is my earnest prayer that in light of this message, this first time together when we are not together. My prayer is that we'd all resolve afresh to be a blessing to the fellowship of God's people when things get back to normal. That you in your home right now would have a prayer in your soul. Lord, I resolve. I resolve before thee now. I resolve before thee that I will be what I ought to be in the church of Christ that I will be that provoking and exhorting brother or sister, encouraging each other to love and to good works. I've said to you already the context, it shows that Christ by his blood is the motivation whereby we would do this. He has died for his church. He's died to bring the church together. And so may the blood of Christ motivate us to live and serve him in the church for his name's sake. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m., a Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.